The December Star Trek Monthly Mondays were made possible by a generous donation to the show by longtime listener and booster Mike Poteet, BiblioMike on the ForumForGeeks.com website. Mike had asked us to read a special message on his behalf, but sadly, due to stupidity beyond their control, the freaks dropped the ball and let BiblioMike down. The December Star Trek Monthly Mondays opener should have said, Brought to you by Mike, Biblio Mike Petit, who wishes everyone a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holiday Season, and a Gravitas-filled New Year. Check out Mike's short story in Star Trek Strange New Worlds number 2, still available as an ebook, and read his musings on the intersections of science fiction, fantasy, and faith at the collaborative blog thescifichristian.com. Two True Freaks deeply regrets this omission. and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday, the next generation edition. That's the 1701D. This is episode number... 37 and as you heard we have with us the letter d d no as you all know i'm chris honeywell and what you are hearing is scott gardner d who's he he had a little car accident so now he's down to like one letter in his vocabulary 
<laughs> but he's kind of the he's kind of the cash cow of this podcast. So you know, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we, we just rig his drooling mass up next to a microphone and let him say D the whole time, and there's people tune in and listen. So it would have to it would be a tough decision to decide between would I just want to be able to go D for the rest of my life or be able to uh, beep yes and no. I, I I'm not sure which one would be. I have a feeling if you could go D, you'd be able to, you'd be able to beep yes and no also. <laughs> Somehow, you know, if you could blow air through, you could rig up something that would be like beep, that would just yeah, that could beep once and then you just have to do it twice to beep twice. But uh, <laughs> once again, as I, I, you know, I, I, I keep having. Don't want to say it over and over again, but I don't know if everybody's listening to every single goddamn show that we make, although you should be. They should be. Um, you know, it's the, the we're back in 2011. It's a, it's the ripe new year and we are back on format after a whole string of holiday and special shows and movie commentaries and us having fun and indulging ourselves. We're back to our our normal grit and grind which is two episodes of star trek the next generation and yeah, anything else next generation that comes up like uh like in particular like this month you have read <gasps> I, I don't know if you've read the book or a book or if this is just a book related thing that you have i don't know exactly what you have but you have something to say about a next I, gen book don't you i do i actually read a book can you believe it I, uh, I decided to take a little break from all the uh, Star Wars books I've been reading lately, mostly because I read four in a row and none of them were very damn good. So And switch it up radically with a Star Trek book. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, before I get into that, though, I just I want to go back just a moment to something you had said before about listeners uh, and, and, and all the shows that we do. You know, I. I don't know that I've ever put this out there publicly, and maybe I really shouldn't say this because it could be construed the wrong way, but it's just time that you know that uh, I do judge your worth as a human being by whether or not you listen to all of our episodes. And if you oh. don't, then I just I got to deduct points. You know what I'm saying? And, I, and there is a score tally sheet, okay? So yeah, download all the episodes. You know, we I don't, don't have do that many listeners. My we can keep track. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, you really should be listening to all the shows. And you can take that as a veiled threat if you want. Um, <laughs> I read a book this month, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. So I'm going to talk about my feelings. I read oh, God Star Trek Titan. And I read this. Uh, actually, it's the, the third book of the series. This is Orion's Hounds by Christopher L. Bennett. And I read this because I decided I want to get caught up on basically the quote-unquote current goings-on in the Star Trek universe because, strangely, it seems like the Star Trek novel universe has finally kind of pulled itself together and they're starting to treat it like it's a cohesive universe. And not long ago, within the past five or so years, um, all the diverse franchises of Star Trek pulled together and basically had this big event um, series of books that came out. 
And that's really about all I know about it. I won't profess to be an expert. I have not read the books. I own them now, but I haven't gotten to them yet. But I keep hearing interesting things about where it all went, and now I want to read it. So I decided to get caught up on the individual pieces of the franchise before tackling the actual event. And I wanted to start with Titan because I've already read the first two books. So this was the third book, and it's very well written. I really, I like Christopher Christopher L. Bennett. I had read uh, uh, at least one other book that he had written before, which was the uh, Ex Machina, I think was the name of it, which was a direct sequel to Star Trek The Motion Picture. And I liked that book a lot. And I liked it as his passion for Star Trek The Motion Picture because it's my favorite Star Trek movie. So I went into this knowing the author's style and where he was coming from and, and that sort of thing. And the, the read started off really, really good. And it the book starts out by basically reaffirming what Titan is all about, the Starship Titan. This, this is the story of uh, Riker has now been promoted to captain. He's the captain of the Titan. And he and his wife, Deanna... Um, you know, are basically leading this mission. And the Starship Titan is kind of a throwback to the enterprise of Star Trek, the motion picture, where Starfleet was starting a new initiative to have a radically racially diverse crew all trying to, to work and live and operate together on one starship. And it was something of a failed experiment. So, And when you say racially... It's not like racially here. It's space racially. So right. you got like we like all sorts of weird life forms exactly. and stuff, right? Is yeah. that what you mean? Yeah, and it's really neat. I mean, they actually have like a water breather is one of the people, you know, so like her quarters are actually like a tank that she lives in and stuff like that. And it's really interesting. You know, there's one member of the crew that like comes from like a, a low gravity world, so she needs to, you know, have a lot of downtime in her quarters where she can basically fly or, you know, float around. But then when she has to operate with the rest of the crew, she has to wear like an exoskeleton, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, the crew is very, very different in race and species and everything else. So I was really digging that part of the story. And then it gets into the primary part of the story, which is they find themselves in, you know, literally uh, the final frontier. I mean, they are in virgin or not virgin but you know unexplored territory somewhere that man has never been before and they get out there in this new region of space and they actually find you know old friends for lack of a better term they they find a whole like uh school of the space jellyfish from the pilot episode of next gen you know, those those big creatures like the one that had been captured and turned into yeah. Farpoint Station. That's cool. And that was really cool. And I was digging that part of the story. Well, then that's kind of where the main part of the story reveals itself, that there's this new race that's out there. Well, you know, new is in, you know, this is the first time man has run across them. And basically their entire life and culture and structure and reason for being is hunting the star jellies. And so a, uh, a parallel is drawn that 
is not at all subtle in its preachiness and condescension to wailing or something exactly and so you know here's the titan out there completely cut off from everything humanity has ever known you know i mean farther out than anybody's ever been does it turn into moby dick at any point no but that actually could have been more interesting had it Mm. What happens is, of course, the thing in Star Trek that they do that irritates the fire rate out of me when they decide, well, we're going to take our preachy human values and we're going to apply it to this other race and we're going to teach these ignorant people how to do things the proper human way. So what do they do? They instantly go and basically destabilize this entire sector by giving the star jellies the advantage in the situation to where the hunters can't hunt them anymore. And it completely changes everything in both cultures and and literally destabilizes this entire sector of space that they're in. Well, as soon as they do that, the aliens, they're understandably pissed, but also instead of just outright destroying the Titan, which they easily could do, they instead kind of take Titan under their wing and go, look, you guys do not understand what you have done here. And they take them and they present to them the bigger picture. And when they get the bigger picture, suddenly Riker and his people are, are presented with this and they just, their, their eyes are open and they're like, oh my God, we, we had no idea. And then it becomes a real... Um, I kind of want to say morality play, but not so much a morality play as a, as a, as a struggle to how do we make this right? And it all sounds very interesting right now. It's not that it's not interesting, but the problem I had with this book. And again, it's, it's one of those where I I literally walked away going, did I like that? Because it's not like I didn't like it and it's not like it's not interesting. It's just, I found Bennett's attitude in this book, and he keeps drawing parallels to America specifically that I found insulting. Um, There's one part of the book where he describes America as having been built on um, slavery. And I'm trying to remember what the other word was that he, it was slavery and uh, oppression. Yeah, kind of like that. I can't think of the exact word, but basically that. Yeah, like like we were Nazis or something. And I was like, wow, what a gross misrepresentation of our history. And it, it, it comes from his first officer who keeps warning Riker about the, the, the paths and the decisions that he both has to make and then that he has made, trying to tell him, you know, I mean, basically it comes down to he should have listened to her from the very beginning because as soon as they get there and Riker says, I, I can't abide this, she's like, dude, what right do we have to interfere in this culture that's been around for thousands of years just because you don't like what they're doing? And he totally should have listened to her from the beginning because even if... Well, what happened to the prime directive? That Yeah, see, that's a very sketchy thing in this whole story, is that it it's talked about without ever really being addressed. It's brought up, but then nobody ever seems like they're really willing to enforce it. And Riker's reasons for why he doesn't feel he has to abide by it 
don't ring true. So there's a lot of elements of this story that I enjoyed, but was uncomfortable with because I wasn't sure that this really feels like Star Trek to me or that it feels like Riker in this because he makes a lot of bad decisions and then just compounds them with worse decisions that he makes trying to fix the original mistake. And at the end of the day, the book is so preachy about so many things about um, whaling, about, you know, this, uh, again, I what I feel is a gross re- misrepresentation of American history. And then um, there's even a thing in there about like gun control and hunting. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, is is this venue really the best place for you to be beating your liberal drum? I, I just don't get that. What? Why are you grinding this axe in this book? And it made me very uncomfortable. And at the end of the day... The, I think it was Star Trek Four that gave people the impression that they should do that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even... I mean, did that one feel... I mean, yeah, sure, it was a save the whales tale, but at the end of the day, I didn't feel beat. It was subtly yeah. so. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it there was, was no preachiness to it. They, yeah. you know, the fact that they were whales and that they had to save the whales was basically enough. You, you know, I mean, you had, you had the marine biologists there to give you facts and say, you know, these guys are endangered and all that, and get all that necessary information. But that was about it, you know, as far as, you know, preachiness. You know, the thing about, to me, that sounds like it's annoying is right now, where we are in history, where you and I and the listener are in history, we could sit down and, you know, whether everybody's going to agree with it or not, you could sit down and come up with an argument as to how the United States was built on slavery, okay? Early in the United States history... We had slavery, so it was helped helped to build us up. But, you know, I mean, there's just nobody who's going to argue that the primary, you know, was built on the back of slavery. But when you start getting in the course of the history and centuries ahead of us, why the hell would he pick on the United States about slavery and gun control and all that? That whenever they would speak about that in Star Trek, it was just a vague mankind you know, mankind, we used to think differently about that, and we used to do things differently. It wasn't like, you know, there was a country called the United States that was built on the back of slavery. Well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of cover- countries back in that history that were built on slavery. Right. You know, and by the, the time you're out in space... The world at that time had been built that way. Right, and a guy on the star, tra- star... You know, out in a starship in Federation space from the impression that you get of this future... You're not going to think of, even if you were from America, you're thinking of things on a more cosmic scale because you're living in more of a cosmic scale. So you're not, you know, always going to like compare things to 20th, you know, 18th, 19th and 20th century Earth history, you know, to uh, all the time. And especially around America, it just shows the artists biases, biases or however you would say it about about that particular stuff so yeah it breaks you away from it because you're hearing the 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 author editorialize about it right but so yeah it just yeah so it it sounds very interesting it's it sounds actually like 
a, a valid science fiction book. Yeah, it was it was not bad as far as the way it was written and and the subject matter. I just at the end of the day, I, I felt it was needlessly preachy and that the the author did not do a very good job of disguising his personal feelings and and really axe grinding you know what i mean Mm -hmm. as as opposed to telling a story and letting the reader decide how the reader felt you were you were being dictated to this is how you should feel about this situation and to a large degree, I, I couldn't feel the way that the author wanted me to feel because at the end of the day, yeah, you know, I, I understood where they were coming from that, yes, these were sentient creatures that were being slaughtered, but I'm firmly of the opinion that when, when we finally get out in space and we're going to have to learn to deal with other cultures... We, we're going to have to learn to respect other cultures. We're not going to be able to go out there and bully the rest of the universe like we've tried to do the rest of the planet here and teach the ignorant savages the errors of their ways because what that's going to lead to is wars and resentments and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what's done in this book is that as soon as Titan winds up in this region of space, instantly they're... they're morally judging these people when these people probably have a culture and history that that predates man on earth yeah and they're they're wanting to come in and cut them off from their food supply right right. it would be like a bunch of vegetarian aliens coming in and going "Uh -uh, uh-uh uh right setting all the cows free and all of a sudden we're eating veggies uh, all the time you know it's actually, it, it, it turns out, and I don't want to spoil anything, but it turns out that it's actually bigger than that. That the reason they're harvesting these things is actually because they need them as part of their life cycle that ensures the safety of worlds and protects billions of people. And where they wake Riker and his crew up to the fact that, you know, you have really screwed up is they take them to a place and they let them witness here is the result of what you've done. And they watch a world die because they interfered in this natural cycle that had been going on for all this time. And that was a powerful moment of the book when... You know, they they realize, wow, this we really should not have played around in this situation. But the problem, again, was that they're shocked for the moment. But at the end of the day, they're kind of unrepentant. It's like they don't learn the lesson that Uh sometimes it's best to just try to keep your personal opinions and your personal feelings to yourself when it comes to these other cultures that have been established and have functioned for thousands and thousands of years before you came along and that you don't even really and that you don't even know exactly and and they don't to me at the end of the story it i don't get a a solid sense that the lesson was learned i i get i get the feeling that they go right on to the next culture and do the same thing if they blew into town and said oh i don't like the way they do that and it's like, that's kind of been the point with Star Trek all along. That's That's been kind of a bone of contention of mine is when they fly into town and just mess everything up because it's not conforming to their their 
their human values or their preconceptions of how quote unquote civilized society should work. And we see that time and time again in Star Trek. But in this case, I felt like the, the ante was really upped by the fact of this time around, you know, the fates of planets are at stake here. And they witness that, yet they kind of don't get it. And it was, you know, it was one of those like, wow, really? Kind of thing. So, yeah, I I would be. Especially if you got it and you're just a regular 21st century reader. Exactly. <laughs> you're not even an advanced 20, you know, 23rd century smart guy. <laughs> So I'd be very curious. I'm I'm hoping that uh, some of our uh, listeners out there uh, may have actually read this book, and maybe we can get a little discussion going on the forum. I would love to know what other people thought. Um, did I misinterpret the book? Am I am I dead on? Do others agree? Disagree? Whatever. I, I would just, you know, if you if you've read it, if you've been privy to this particular book and have an opinion one way or the other, I'd love to hear about it. But. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Star Trek Titan Orion's Hounds. Uh, kind of on the fence with this one. But that's pretty much all I got on that. Are we ready to uh, get into our episode coverage? Yes, I'm ready. I am itching for this. We are starting into the uh, second season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our first episode up is uh, an episode called The Child. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation... Counselor Troy will have her baby in about 36 hours. News of an alien pregnancy alarms the crew. Something which I can only describe as a presence entered my body. But this mysterious entity poses a deadly threat. Destroy it now. Diana Muldor, Whoopi Goldberg, join the crew of Star Trek The Next Generation. Which uh, aired the week of November 21st, 1988. That's a solid 20 years after the one that we reviewed for uh, for the TOS episode, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And the synopsis on this one from the Star Trek The Next Generation Companion reads, The Enterprise is ferrying supplies of a deadly plasma plague for study when Troy stuns the crew by announcing she's pregnant. What she describes as a glowing white light impregnated her during her sleep. Yeah, they all say that. That's it. According to new chief medical officer Kate Pulaski, the fetus will grow full term in just 36 hours. As Picard and his officers debate the security concerns raised by the quote-unquote invader, Troy announces flatly she's having the baby. The counselor has a remarkably easy birth. Her son, Ian appears completely harmless, but continues his unusual growth rate, aging eight years and 27 hours. Almost oblivious to all this is young Wes Crusher, who seeks counsel from the mysterious new 10-forward hostess, Guinan, about whether to join his mother, who is left to head Starfleet, Med- uh, Starfleet Medical. He finally decides to stay on board, much to my chagrin. Meanwhile, one of the plague samples... Inexplicably, inexplicably, I can't say that word. Inexplicably (laughs) begins to grow. Yes, I have this problem sometimes myself. Threatening to break its containment and infect the crew within two hours. Everything's a timetable in this episode. 
It turns out that Ian, or at least the life force that took the uh, human took the form of the human child to learn more about humans, is a stimulus for the viral uh, viral sample's growth. A tearful Troy wa- watches Ian revert to his real form, and the virus stops growing, and the ship's mercy mission can be finished. It's kind of a dry synopsis for what I feel is a pretty darn good episode. What do you think about this one? They weren't on any mercy mission this time. <laughs> they were oh, on yeah. a mercy mission this time. <clears throat> I remember when this one came out and I remember I, I remember really liking it because it's just a straight up science fiction. It just sort of happens. There's really no moral to this or anything. It's just an interesting thing that happens in space. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There isn't really any big, like, well, guess what we all learned now? You don't let this kind of alien radiation near these these uh, mutated... Uh, you know, you thought there was going to be some sort of, like, commentary on genetic, you know, because ge- they said, oh, they're making these uh, these horrible, you know, dise- vir- viral things just to see how bad they can make something. And you think, oh, I hear a message coming here about, you know, um, playing God or toying with nature. But no, not really. It's just sort of more or less just set up as, you know, a moment of, you know, you have to have that moment of crisis in the ship to to get it going. So there isn't, you know, and, and I think people a lot of times think there has to be something like that. There has to be a moral or a lesson learned. Nah, I, I like just sort of meeting, you know, meeting. This one was like you meet up with all your characters. They catch you up on what's going on because there's obviously been some changes. Yeah. Uh, since uh, between these seasons. And so it's catching you up and 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 something happens, you know. Um, Deanna's character has, has changed, but there's not really a, a lesson learned or or anything. I like it. It's just sort of I I like the next generation ones that are just like the episodes that are like we're in space and something strange happened and we had to figure out what just went on, you mm-hmm. know? Or or we more or less figure out what went on and then it ends with <laughs> and you know, but that's I I I like that and this I like I like the way this episode um it pretty smoothly and painlessly catches you up on all the changes in what's happening. You know, uh, um, how Riker picked up the the weird like rash on his face. <laughs> um, you know that Wesley's mom. Where's Wesley's mom? Why do we have a new doctor? You know, and uh, and uh, you know, finally giving um um. Jordy something, you know, a position, you know, the position that he really needed to be, which is an engine, you know, as chief engineer. Right. And, and bringing in Guinan. I forgot that Guinan was just sort of like dropped in here. It's just like, Hey, and 10 forward. Was this the first time we saw 10 10 forward? forward. Yep. This, uh, this episode. And it's funny because I, I went into this one 
with kind of false memories that this wasn't a very good episode because the only thing I remembered about it I was... I remember you saying that yeah. before, that you were like, that one. Yeah, because, you know, I, all I remembered of this one is, you know, that uh, Troy gets pregnant and has a space baby that grows to full term and within the course of the episode. Right. And that's pretty much all I remembered about it, thinking, well, that's a pretty lame story. And granted, that part of the story is kind of lame, and it concerns Troy, so that definitely right, right. biased you against it. But what I like is everything that's happening around the main story. Because my first thought, as soon as the, the video comes up in this one, my first thought was, hey, the budget went up. Because we, yeah. we see new areas of the ship. The special the effects. lighting is better. Yeah, the lighting's better. The special effects are a lot cleaner. Um, I don't know if they're still shooting on videotape, but it looks better now. It looks more yes. natural. Um, some of the sets got redressed and, and kind of updated a little bit. The uniforms look a little better. And as you said, some sweeping changes to things, some of them subtle and some of them pretty drastic. Um, you know, we have chief engineer Jordy now, which, you know, as you said, he's finally given something useful to do. It's not that I didn't like the character before. It's just give him something. He wasn't to in his do. right place. Yeah. yeah. He he's, he's just, his character screamed out chief engineer. He's not like Scotty, but he is that he's that, kind of nerd yeah you know? yeah he's the nerdy science guy exactly and you know this this fixes that revolving door of chief engineers you know every other mm-hmm. episode that we had going on before um you know wharf is now officially head of security and he gets a uniform change and his overall look it's subtle and it would evolve much more beyond this but he looks closer to where he would get eventually. He he looks very different from the first season. You know, part of it is that, you know, he changes his uniform color, which I think that this uniform color suits him a little bit better. You know what I failed to note? Did he have the the new metallic uh Baldrick or did he have did he still have the the one that was a throw I can't remember. I'll have to note that next time. I, I really failed to note. You know, we get bearded Riker. Um, you know, Wesley finally changed out of his gay pride sweater to an actual like pseudo uniform, which actually I think that gray uniform is kind of sharp looking, to be honest. And then, you know, the biggest change, we got the new doctor, which I'm sorry, I'm I'm probably going to end up beating this to death. And, and I know that this is an unpopular opinion, but I like Dr. Pulaski. I like her, too. I she's tough. She's tough and smart. She's the female Dr. McCoy. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. while that may sound like a criticism or, or like a, a cheap write-off of her character, I think that's the strength of that character. I think this show needed Yeah, she's somebody... got a little crust to her. Yeah, she's crusty. She's not one of these shiny, happy 24th century peaceniks. She's a little – she's got a little of the throwback in her. You know, she's she's the crusty McCoy. And, you know, she she has the ability to both stand toe to toe and and also kind of take the piss out of guys like Worf and and especially the captain. You know, we see right out of the gate. She's not afraid of him at all. She's not going to cower to him and she's not afraid to kind of stand her own ground. I like that about her. It's a needed element, not just for the show, but particularly for that for that role, because, you know, I, I never felt. That, that Crusher really added much to the show at all. I and, think she was there to possibly be a romantic in, 
the you know interest for Picard, and then they decided not to go that route really. So she was there to be sort of a you know an underlying romance, you know, thing that they could just touch on. You know, have an episode every once in a while where they almost kiss, or they right, or you get a hint of what relationship they used to have, or something. But that wasn't enough. That was just a you no. know. And as Doctor, she was more of the, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I liked her. I thought she was a good character. She had, they, they, you know, they gave her some fun stuff to do and some interesting, you know, part. And I thought the actress, uh, Gates McFadden, was a really good actress. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I liked the crusty, tough Doctor better. Yeah. You know, that character. And plus... It puts Wesley on his own, which might make him more of a character instead of like his mother being always like Wesley, you know, do your homework, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, hope, here's hoping it'll, you know, not having mom around will make Wesley a little more or maybe I shouldn't say a little more, maybe a little less annoying. Well, you know, these two episodes have something in common. You know, the two episodes we're going to look at tonight have something in common and it's not a good thing in either case. Both episodes had the ability to get rid of Wesley Crusher <laughs> and neither one of them took advantage of it. In this one, as much as I like, I, I really, really like the character of Guinan. I guess it failed to, uh, to click with me until this viewing Guinan is ultimately to blame for Wesley sticking around. Yes. Now that kind of changes my feelings about Guinan. She talked him out of something that really would have been hugely beneficial to the ship. You know what I mean? I, I That's going to take me a while to get over that, I think. Because I really had the attitude, you know, when it came up in this, Wesley's leaving? Hey, well, hey, don't let the door, you know, the, the airlock hit you on the ass on the way out. You know what I mean? <laughs> Good riddance. But... Uh, in all honesty, though, I, I like this episode a lot. Now, this well, uh, just in in a practical sense, if he wasn't gone in that first episode, he wasn't going right, anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing as how his mom was gone, if they were going to get rid of him, his ass would have been gone too. They wouldn't have paid him for that first episode. Right. <laughs> now, uh, did you know that this was originally written for the Phase Two uh, series way back in like late in the late seventies? I can believe that. And it probably would have been just a female crew member or something. It wasn't like, or you know, well, see, I always a specific just, character, or was it yeah. just sort of like it was? Uh, I had always assumed that if this was written for Phase Two, then that would mean that the female character uh, to get impregnated and all would would have to be Ohura. But it what it would have been um, Ilea. Oh. So in a lot of ways, you can see the parallels there because, you know, you already uh -huh. have that parallel between Ilea and Decker and Troy and uh, and Riker anyway. So I get from what I've read, this wasn't like fully fleshed out and it's not like they took like a completed script and then just did a, a minor rewrite. I mean, it was really just like a concept, a concept. Yeah, I know they used to I they called them plot books or story books or yeah. something like that, you know, chapter books or something. And they. They would just have, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, ideas that they would give to the writers to flesh out or to use as springboards and stuff like that. And uh, 
yeah, this is just an awesome little science fiction idea. You know, it, it, they had the opportunity to do a comment on abortion and they really sort of side sideline that, you know, right. When, you know, they, it, it basically just became a, um, it, 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 it actually, that was a little, little bit of a statement because, you know, she's like, I'm having the baby and Picard's like, all right, well then end of discussion. Yeah. That's you know, the so, end of that. Yeah. So that tells you what, you know, where they are in the 23rd century. But, um, I like this episode on so many levels. I, you know, I like the story. I, I like the, that it, you know, kind of what it sets up and everything, but I think it's a, a nicely directed episode because there's a great moment where, uh, you know, Picard says he's going to pay his respects to Troy and her new baby. And, and she and, or, and he and the doctor rather go down to Troy's quarters and there's that great moment where they walk in and he starts to say something about the baby and Ian full grown walks out and says hi to mm -hmm. him. And there's that zoom in reaction shot. That's just great. It's really nicely directed because it's like a real tight, fast zoom in on, on Picard's reaction. And he like takes like a little step back. And I mean, he's really taken aback by the situation. And, and I, I like he's that. probably, since they're also familiar with 20th century earth culture, they've probably all seen children of the damned and they're like, <laughs> Oh, they're the twilight zone, the movie. And they're like, Oh, this can't be good. You know? <laughs> Cause that's what you're expecting. You're expecting them to be like, thank you, mother. Thank you for having me. I will take this ship now so we can go to the world of, you know, eternal death where I'm going to roast you and eat you, you know, or whatever. <laughs> it could have been something like that. Or, you know, I'm going to uh, transform you all into my slaves or, or whatever. But, you know, it just, it, it, uh, what I like about it is it wasn't any, you know, there was a little bit of trouble at the end where it's like, oh, this virus could get out. But, you know, when you're watching a TV show and you're that close to the end, that it's just sort of a little thing to push ahead the story. So you never really feel any real da danger that there's going to be any trouble at that point. If it happened in the first third of the story, it might cause a little suspense. So it's not a suspense filled episode. It just has there's there's a lot of elements of horror to it, though. You know, up until the point, you know, up until you find out that the kid is really actually just a nice alien, you know, for sure. <laughs> There's some, you know, even the beginning of it, like the first shot of it is like a sort of handheld camera going backwards with where, you know, you see Riker's beard right off the bat. And, you know, I, I think Troy is sort of asking him, you know, something, you know, you're a little upset what's wrong or so, you know, there's some, it's just a little unsettling, you know, Right. And with and with the new values that like the lighting, it's like when we were talking about generations, you know, the lighting's a little moodier. And, you know, when the when the light comes in and impregnates Troy, that's a very that's a very horror movie sort of scene. And I wonder the weird one where it stops in front of the guy. I think it was supposed to say, oh, maybe I'll impregnate this human. Oh, no, this human can't be impregnated. But I was wondering if it might not have been gathering a little like DNA from him or something, you know, to to, you know, whip up, whip up a kid, you know, get a little <laughs> DNA code so that it would have the other parts to the DNA to. But later on, they said, you know, the DNA is all Troy's. So the kid was almost like a male clone of Troy. Yeah. Which was which is really strange. Kind of creepy. But I know? like I like the idea that some like energy 
creature was just like, oh, look, there's a ship. I wonder what they do. Oh, I'll, go, I'll go live through their life cycle and see what's up. Right. What a, that would yeah. be a great life, man. It sounds like <laughs> a very interesting life, you know? You go you go find alien races and fly up their coochies and, and climb back out and... <laughs> You know, it would have been interesting to see what his life, you know, if, if like five days later he would have been a decrepit old man and died of old age and, you know, seen his body develop and then, you know, d- you know, start to develop in the opposite direction. <laughs> so it was it was very interesting. And I like that, you know, I like that it just sort of ended. He was just he was just like, well, I'm causing trouble. Got to go. See you, mom. We'll have a little E.T. moment, you know, and we'll have a little light touching time. And, <laughs> She's and totally not looking in the right places in those scenes either. <laughs> I know. It's like it's like when they have a dog, you right. know, a trained dog, and it's looking up at its handler instead of. Yeah, there was a lot of pe- there was I'm sure at this set there were a lot of people with. You know, a nice big strong flashlight, just like shining it on things to represent. Right. You know, to represent before they put the special effect of the dot of light. I like that the Klingon's the one who's like, "Let's abort it," <laughs> <laughs> and then he's he gives that kid the hairy eyeball the whole time. Yep. he's not buying any of it. He and Picard are both sort of like, "Okay, <laughs> Picard, it's his ship," you know. So I would be very suspicious too. <laughs> the minute your mother's not in the room, I'm gonna split your head like a melon. Mm-hmm. And then this is this is what is very interesting to me. They introduce the character of Guinan, who they talk about the Betazoids being this very sexual, you know, empathic creature, which is sort of like you know having your own special psychiatrist on board. That's sort of what Guinan is. They're, like when Guinan has a one-on-one conversation with anybody. In Star Trek, I'm always waiting for them to start making out. Like with Wesley here, I'm just like, you know, I mean, maybe it's a very intense personal, but there's, you know, there's, there's, there's something intense going on there. And I, and, and, but it's weird because it's Whoopi Goldberg. It's not, you know. Right. But, but she actually, her character, Guinan, does what Troy is supposed to do. And Guinan actually does it, fulfills the purpose of it, you know? And it's like, so why did they just introduce a character? Why did, couldn't they just get, why couldn't they just say, you know what? We're getting sick of you kicking around the bridge. You know what? We're giving you a job at 10 forward. I know it sounds weird. I know you went to school and everything to be, and you don't want to be a bartender, but I have a feeling this might be the best place for you because <laughs> it's where the people who need help are going to end up down at the bar. You know what I mean? And a bartender's always known as someone that people talk to. You know, they they should have done that. Should have they could have put Troy in ten forward, you know, and saved the the added expense of a, of Whoopi Goldberg. So, but I like see, though, so. I, it's one of those things where where. I, I think it's just both of them have a front. You know, Whoopi's front is that she's there to serve the drinks and everything, but she honestly she she plays like 
you know, counselor and advisor to the crew that come to her with all their, their problems and everything. Classic bartender, yeah. Whereas Troy is there under the guise of being the, the counselor and advisor and everything, but really she's like ship's whore is really what it comes down to, you know? So. And, and hey, Worf gets his first look at his future in this episode. Did you? Did, that's the first thought I had. He comes in while she's, she's sitting there spread eagle giving birth. Worf walks in like, hmm, and I'm like, yeah, big guy. That's what you got to look forward to in the future here. <laughs> it was at that moment that I knew I would have to crawl up into that. <laughs> and I noticed Data's back to saying query before he asked yeah. the question. Again. Yeah, I, I caught that too. Yeah. I don't think that sticks around much though. And if you are going to address a social issue in here, why, you know, why when this kid wasn't old enough, why didn't she, why why didn't Troy at some point go? You know what? I'm not too pleased about being space raped. You know, not at all. Because uh, isn't that what's ha- what basically happened? You know, I mean, when she described it, what did she describe? You know, there was a something that went up inside her. You know, as she slept, it did definitely didn't ask her. Unless maybe there was it did on some unconscious level or something, but still, you know, that's what I would be. I would, be, you know, it's kind of unethical to make a baby with somebody who doesn't even know you're gonna do it. Right. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. That that call me crazy. They totally skirted that. She seems yeah. like she's pretty okay with it, actually. No, she was really into it, and I think you know. I think that was the thing is her being a betazoid and having the baby in it. She was probably very keyed into him anyway. So she probably detected no malice or anything like that. So and plus, I I just wish they would. There were a few little details that as a writer, I would have added in. I would have had her eating in every scene as she was pregnant. I would have had her like always walking over to the food thing and just being like blah 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 oh, mom 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 because she's developing a baby in thirty you know ten month betazoids they say have a ten month gestation period and she's doing it in thirty six hours the amounts of energy I mean we we can pretty much assume that the uh, being was providing the energy but it would have been really amusing to have her just like you know. Computer, make me up a some sardine ice cream and you know, like the Flash in the old Flash TV show. Right, yeah. So he had to eat like crazy to to make up the, all the energy that he just used. It it makes sense. It would have been, I think that would have been really uh, a, a, just a fun little detail to add in there. But overall, man, what a great what a great way to start off the 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 series, the second season. See, I think the thing I like about this is that it not only sets the tone for the rest of this season, but I think in a lot of ways it sets the tone for the whole rest of this series mm-hmm. because, you know, save for like Pulaski and, and a few other cosmetic things, you know, you could pretty much have this episode at any point in the rest of this series. I mean, if this was just suddenly on TV – up until you see Pulaski in the episode, you, you might be a little hard pressed to to pinpoint. Okay, which uh, which, which season, season is, is this? this? Yeah, because this pretty much is the the look and feel from here on out. You know, for the most part, you know they you know they change uniforms in a little bit and stuff like that. But 
I think that this, you know, we, we have clearly crossed a line, you know, from, from the series as it started to the series as it's going to be. Yes. I like all their, their ideas for change too, were all good ideas for once in one Mm -hmm. of these shows, you know, they were all constructive. 10 forward was a great idea. Yep. Yeah, I think so too. That's a, that's 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 a writer idea right there. You could tell that some writer said, "Look, we, you know, if we had a place that was like a bar lounge, it's just going to be the per, you know, it it, it gives it has too many good opportunities for story stuff in there. You know, you got a place for people to go to get drunk, you got a place for people to bump into each other, right? You know, and I liked they 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 and they and and the way they set it up was all very. Smart. I love the way they did it. They're like, uh, where is she? She's in 10 forward. And Picard's just like, oh, my God. Right, you know, right on the, sh- you know, he's like, you know, a few hours on the ship and she's already found her way to 10 forward, you know, and he's all like, she's down there drinking when actually what she's doing is totally her job. She's like, right. she's heading off this thing right off. You know, she's she's jumping right into the fray. And yeah, it's just it's, pre- you know, you could have had somebody go 10 forward, you know, and been like oh yeah i like to hang out at 10 forward and guinan and stuff like that but they just let it slowly you know sort of sort of give you an explanation of and they you know i mean they they gave you enough information about guinan to know that she's very mysterious right (laughs) you're you're only going to get information about her in dribs and drabs and she's obviously very secretive and seems to have some sort of skeletons going on and that there, you know, basically there's way more to her than meets the eye, and and I like that too, you know. I I, I like that like a lot of the characters in this aren't stereotype TV characters, you know. Right. Yeah. The, the you know the this or the that you know you got the wet behind the ears kid and stuff, but there's other ones that are just sort of you know just sort of this weird character, and it reminds me more of real life than anything. So I think that's really big to the benefit of this show. I like I'm really that, uh... ex- I'm really excited about the second. I-, I enjoyed the first season, but I'm starting to get really excited about the second season now. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I like this season a lot. There to my recollection, there's only a couple of clunkers in here, but for the most part this is a really really solid season. And uh this one really owes a lot more into the world building of the TNG that we all kind of remember, you know, on a, on a, on a subconscious level, much more, I think, than, than anything from the first season, um, except maybe the pilot. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about, you know, what we're headed towards. I liked seeing, I, I can't remember if these actually, uh, referred to by name in this episode, but we see O'Brien again, and he's mm-hmm. now functioning as the transporter chief, which he pretty much is for the whole rest of this series. You know, and he would eventually, you know, prove to be such a popular character that he actually uh, leaves the show to go over to uh, to Deep Space Nine and be one of the primary characters over there. I like that character a lot. Um, you know, and he was there right at the pilot, and then I think he disappeared for a while. But you know, here he is back, and uh, and actually becomes a fairly fleshed out character eventually on the series. He proves to be so popular, mm-hmm. and I like him. I, I always did like that that actor and the character that he played. Um, 
I like that window shot of the outside of uh, of ten forward at the one point. You know where we actually like pan down around you know the edge of the of the saucer right up to the window that uh, that Wesley is looking out of. That was actually a really nice shot. I'm not sure how that was and then done. They go into into hyper or into hyperspace. You know, in, into warp when yeah. Uh, when they're standing there, that that must be really neat to be standing, looking right out a window when you go into warp. It, it, it was timed right with the dramatic part of their conversation. Yeah, I can't recall that happening many times where we actually see what it looks like, you know, from their point of view when they go to warp like that. I don't, I don't remember if they use that again, really. But I liked yeah. this one. I thought that was actually really cool. Um. And this is another one of those, you know, even though they're spending more money in this one, and I think that was obvious at the same rate, there were some uh, places where you could tell they were trying to save some money, one of which was, uh, you know, reusing models again and again and again. You know, we see, you know, the Excelsior model being used for the umpteenth time already in, in this series. And uh, we see the the space station. What What I had written in my notes was the regular one space station, but actually – when it was regular one in Star Trek two, that was a reuse from Star Trek, the motion picture. They took the, uh-huh. uh, I don't know what it was supposed to be. It wasn't space dock, but it was like a floating space station. It's where Kirk beams up to, to then be taken over by shuttle pod by Scotty over to the enterprise, that space station. All they did in Star Trek two is they flipped it upside down and it became the regular one model. And that was in this uh, briefly in this episode. That's the space station they go to at the end of the episode to do whatever they were doing. Now, didn't the guy, the the weird scientist guy who was there to transport the stuff, didn't he look like that guy Rip Taylor? You remember Rip Taylor? Yeah. I think he was on Hollywood Squares. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, I was like, who? Why does this guy look familiar? He I've, looks yeah, like somebody, I've seen him. And I'm like going, why don't yeah. I take him? Why don't I take him seriously? Because I'm not taking him seriously. I'm looking at him as he's going to start doing comedy. And it's like, oh, yeah, he should be Rip Taylor. He should be throwing confetti in the air or something, you know, any, <laughs> any second now. And I liked him. He he just said they just gave him a couple strokes of being, like, socially inept, as scientists usually are, and kind of a little jerky around the edges, as jerky as you're going to get in, in the in the smug future. But, uh, smug future space smuggery well but that's about all i got on this one i had one more note a piece of dialogue that had i written the episode i i would have made a, a, a point to make sure worked its way into the episode because i really felt it needed to be said uh-oh it's a scene where uh where uh wesley goes to the captain's ready room and he basically just barges right in Walks right up to the captain and says, Captain Picard, I want to stay on the Enterprise. And Picard takes a moment and he thinks it over and he reaches over and he turns off the computer he was looking at. <laughs> Puts his porn. <laughs> turns off the porn. <laughs> let me, yeah, let me pause this porn over. Let me for minimize a this. <laughs> and he takes a minute to think about it. And he looks up at him and he's, he says something to the effect of, that may present problems or some something to that effect. And what I really wish he would say is just look at him and just go, well, you know, it's like this, Wesley. We all pretty much hate you. And your mom ain't here to defend you. Anymore. Yeah. And, you know, your mom is not here anymore. 
So, you know, really, why don't you just pack up and, and beat feet, okay? It was because he kissed the Enterprise's ass. When when Picard, he, he was just like, yes, sir, but it's the Enterprise. And Picard was like, oh, he's one of us. He loves the Enterprise like us. Whereas Picard should have said, yeah, and you know what? It's going to be a lot sunnier place. <laughs> it's going to be a lot more awesome Enterprise in a few few days if you get my drift. I think <laughs> this scene, once again, I think they're still playing to that that undecided concept. Is he or isn't he Picard's yes. son? I think they're still playing with that idea in this scene and that annoyed me <laughs> no end because it would have been i just think it would have been better for for picard really to be able to to air his opinion because i don't think he thinks a lot of wesley um but i don't know that could be me projecting as well <laughs> yeah but uh yeah that's all i got on this one i i thoroughly enjoyed it um and i I always remembered that I, I liked elements of it, but I didn't remember really liking the whole episode. And I, and I was wrong. I, I liked the, the entire episode. I thought it was really solid. I watched our two episodes back to back and they just flew by, yep. you know, it was just like, wow, I just watched two episodes of Star Trek and it just went, I'm really looking forward to coming up. All right. I say we take a, a little break and then we come back and do our second episode. All right. That works for me. This episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday is also brought to you by Christopher Tyler, the hair metal hero. He wrote, Hey guys, thought I'd sponsor a Star Trek Monthly Monday, so here's my message. Hey freaks, thanks for all the entertainment through the years, so I'm just paying it forward. By the way, Dufo still hasn't sent me those Taiwanese whores yet. Play it loud, freaks. He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Acrid smell of gun smoke. This is the story of my family. That's me. I'm Scott. There's Chris, my wonderful co host. And our children Josh, Jaina, John David, Jill, Jessa, Giuseppe, Ganymede, Jello, Guadalupe, Gallagher, Gomer, Goober, 
SpongeBob, Shenandoah, Tumor, Tupac, San Francisco, Betty Joe, Betty Lou, Betty Sue, Billy Jean, Billy Joe, Bobby Joe, Bobby Sue, Bobby Jean, Bobby Joe, Optimus Prime, Yahoo, Condoleezza Couscous, Cosmo, Dr. No, Shaniqua, Adolph, Cletus, Festus, Bocephus, Coolidge, Cooter, Del Monte, Enos, Eros, Beavis, Hemi, Harley Davidson, Mork, Socrates, Domino, and Strawberry Daiquiri. If you lost count, that's 17 in all. Plus, we just won another three on eBay. We're not a typical family. In fact, you might say we're goddamn freaks. The children run naked, filthy, barefoot, and hungry while we mostly watch TV or surf the internet. As for school, we'll occasionally read to them from Who's Who or the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. To make ends meet, we've taught the children to shoplift. Plus, we sell tickets so that folks can stare at them on the weekends. And even though we haven't any parental qualifications, sense of responsibility, or formal education, somehow we make it all work out. We're Two True Freaks and Counting. All right, we are back. That was quick, wasn't it? Um, We are going to bring you the second episode of the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's called Where Silence Has Lease. Very classy sounding title. It is, but it also makes me scratch my head and go, where did what they the hell get does that? that yeah, where'd they get that from? It's a quote from Shakespeare or something, oh, you know, probably. that like if you read the whole poem or something, it might have something to do with this. I don't know. It just sounds where silence has no lease. That's stupid. Shakespeare never met Nagilam. I didn't know silence paid rent. <laughs> All right, so this episode, that was stupid. That was <laughs> stupid. Episode aired the week of November 28th. What is anybody expecting anyway? <laughs> Come on, you say that as if it's uh, as if I'm somehow wildly flying off my predicted pattern. Okay, sorry. This one aired the week of November 28th, 1988. And the synopsis for this one is en route to the Morgana Quadra. As if that makes any difference where they're headed. But anyway, that's what the book says. The Enterprise suddenly finds itself inside a black void without form or dimension. A void that is unending and inescapable no matter which direction the ship turns. Eaten Uh, by Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) (laughs) A sister ship, the USS Yamato, appears in the void and Riker and Worf investigate, but the ship is part of the trap and the men find themselves in a maze of repetition that nearly drives Worf mad with its ill logic. Finally, the presence behind the void appears, Nagilam, an entity who wants to study humans' reaction to death. The super alien, who appears uh, on screen only as vaguely humanoid facial sections separated by darkness, announces he will use from one-third to one-half of the crew for his experiments. After much soul-searching, Picard regretfully begins the auto-destruct sequence with Riker and later outwits images of Troy and Data sent by the alien to argue against the move. With just two seconds to spare before the auto-destruct, 
the soft voice entity suddenly frees the ship, saying that he has learned enough about human nature by watching the crew's preparation for death. In one final debate, a relief Picard tells Nagilam that they do not uh, that they do have one trait in common: curiosity. Uh, again, I'm not so sure about the, uh, synopsis. the synopsis here. It's dry. It's dry, and it seems like it omits parts of uh, of the episode. I like this one. I like this one a lot. When uh, when I first started. Uh, kind of catching up on on Star Trek The Next Generation and becoming a fan. Oddly, this was one of the first episodes I watched and uh, and it it kind of st- stuck with me somehow. I, I always liked this one and uh, one of the elements that, that always stuck with me was the, the death scene where it kills uh, uh, I can't remember what the guy's name is, but that's a horrible death scene oh yeah he's an ant underneath a underneath a um, magnifying glass he he dies screaming and horrible he curls up with every you can see every muscle tensing and screaming in utter pain and horror in a fetal position yeah (laughs) what bugs me about that scene though beyond the death scene itself which i think is just as you say it's incredibly well acted i mean it's really you know, unnerving that scene, but having it's, seen it's this, a little Shatner esque. <laughs> it is, but I mean, it, I think it's really creepy. And, and, well, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, but uh, what bugs me about that though is having seen this episode so many times and knowing you know just what's happening when it just jumps right out to me as incredibly obvious that the episode begins with Wesley in that position. And then there's a couple of different scene changes and things happen. And then there's absolutely no explanation. And we don't even see the changeover. Suddenly that guy is sitting there. Oh, so close. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as soon as he's dead, Wesley's right back there again. So Wesley is literally relieved in the episode off screen just long enough so that somebody can die in his place. And then he comes right back again. And like I say, it's, it's one of those things you probably don't even realize it when, if you're just watching the episode, like for the first time or whatever, but if you watch it, knowing that that's happening, it just jumps right out. Like, Whoa, wait a minute that guy was substituted just so it wouldn't be Wesley that bought it in that, Mm -hmm. in that one scene. And it's true. And it's not only does it jump right out as very, very obvious, but it's just galling because it should have been Wesley Crusher. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I like the way this one starts. This episode literally starts on the bridge where Picard walks out and he's got his grumpy old bastard face on and he walks out and he stops and he like surveys the bridge and then he turns around like he's going to walk right back in and I just thought to him, he just came out to make sure everybody was working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he walks out and he has this look like, all right, yeah, yeah you better be working. It's the Jesus is coming. Look busy. <laughs> <laughs> totally. 
<laughs> I just think I always think that because I used to have a boss who was named Jesus, so it was like Jesus is coming, and everybody would like grab onto something and start moving it around and be like, "Working, boss, working, shaking the bush, boss." <laughs> <laughs> and then you got that. I don't know. I, I I can't decide if I think it's cool if it's really really stupid and cheesy. That scene where Riker and Worf are fighting He-Man villains down in the hospital. Oh yeah, they're fighting the the. I, I have Ryder, Riker versus. I have Riker versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Skeletor. <laughs> in my notes, so yeah. <laughs> it does. I kept waiting for Ultraman to show up, and then at the end of it, when Worf can't control himself and is coming at Riker and stuff. Should Riker never trust Worf again? Maybe that. Maybe he shouldn't. He, you know, and he's like, "I'm gonna let you walk out ahead of me." You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. That's really kind of, um, you know, your security officer was just getting ready to chop your head off. Basically, you yeah. know, he wanted to. He wanted to really I mean, bad. <laughs> I understand that you know they're they're supposed to be tolerant of these other races and cultures and stuff you know when they're supposed you know when they want to be or whatever, but at the same rate, I mean, there's limits to that. Yeah, I mean that falls into the the range of borderline insubordination, and definitely he's mentally unstable. You know, I mean he had to be talked down from attacking the first officer, and you got to chalk it up. You got to chalk it up to, I guess it's Klingon nature, you know, Klingon nature when he gets into that mode of like that. But, you know, someday they, but the thing is, they might get into battle together. And does that mean that, that once a Klingon goes into battle, he might even kill his own people in, exactly. in a frenzy? Like, a, I don't even think piranhas eat each other, you know? Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, is that this was just an instant, you know, instance where it was the two of them playing on the holodeck. What happens if they're out on the battlefield somewhere and Worf gets the bloodlust? Is he just going to go nuts and kill everybody? Yeah. You have to think about, you know, the the friendly fire situation. And, yeah, it's kind of weird. Now, I noticed that when when Riker calls the exit, they're in this, like, smoke-filled, hazy room. But when the exit comes up, it's totally haze-free. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see right under the out into the hallway, plain as day, despite there being smoke everywhere else in the scene. It's it's a really bad like composite. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like somebody forgot that there should be smoke in front of the door as well. It, it just it looks like what it is as a special effect. Okay, I have another pitch about Troy in this one. <laughs> All right. And it's the same thing as the last time. They get to the part where they're talking about, you know, what is this weird, you know, silly putty guy? You know, what's his deal? And remember, Troy was like, I sense nothing, Captain. I sense nothing. I sense no intelligence behind this. And then when it turns out to be silly putty face, you know, on screen, it's obviously there's an intelligence behind it. And at first I forgot the story and I was like, ooh, it's a time loop story, you know, that they're just, for some reason that ship identified itself as the Yamato, but it was really the Enterprise in the future identifying themselves as the Yamato because that's what happened. You know, I thought it was going to be one of those time loop stories because I'm getting ahead of myself in episodes, but then it's like, oh, okay, no, it's the Oh, the are you thinking of that creature. one that's coming up where there's two Picards? 
There's uh, there's one that comes up where there's a whole bunch of enterprises and stuff. And oh, okay. There yeah. was one last season that had a sort of time loop in it. So yeah. every once in a while, there's a good little time loop thing that'll happen. So that's where I thought it was going, but then it turned into this, you know, sort of a Q sort of situation. But so there. Anyway, anyway, I'm I'm tangenting, but they're 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 all sitting around talking about you know. Well, it was just a black void with nothing, and then we're in it, and still nothing. But now there's obviously some intelligence showing itself. Then they, you know, he goes to Troy, and I'm just paraphrasing, but he says something like, "Well, you said before that you sense no intelligence behind it. What do you think now?" And she's like, "Well, I think I'm sensing some intelligence." And it just sounded like a bullshit answer some high school <laughs> kid gives you. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh no, I'm definitely um. There's definitely yeah 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 I'm I'm sensing some now yeah for sure yeah and and then the doctor pipes up and goes ah he's testing us like rats in a maze you know and then and then Troy's like yes exactly it's like rats and it's just like shut up <laughs> that was your job to say that that was your job to figure that out that's why he was asking you and you were spinning your wheels going yeah 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 I'm sensing it he says his name is Coco. You know, or you know, <laughs> she's just obviously, you know, just bullshitting and and being useless. And it's right, like, she says that because she can't deny it anymore. Because there he is, he was talking to them and saying yes. hi, people, and and doing stuff like making them go through a maze-like enterprise, you know, with no starter, no end. There's obviously something. Somebody's obviously fucking with them, and it, then she's like, "Oh shit," you know, because when she probably was like. Because who, who knows when they were like, well, it says there's nothing there. We have no readings. It's very easy for her to go, oh, good. Well, I could just say, no, I, I no, nothing for me either. You know, it sounds like <laughs> she sounds like that dumb kid who just goes along with everything that every, you know, he waits to hear what everybody else's opinion and consensus is. And then he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. no, 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 totally, totally. You know, that's what she's just doing all the time. And it makes me wonder why. They can obviously write a character now that they've got Guinan and, and they've shown that they can write a character that does what Troy apparently is supposed to be doing. Why don't they want Troy to be? Why do they want to make her this like useless character that every once in a while will be like, you know, in the last one, she was sort of a vessel for the story, you know. Right. But she's never like very rarely like an actual contributor helper, you know, helping helper. So it's just really strange why consistently there's still these problems with their character into the second season, especially when they were obviously uh, went into a little session of problem solving and uh, right and and with with this season. So it's just very strange. See, they gave her they gave her character a visual makeover, which actually does make her look a lot better. She looks a little more attractive and everything. But the problem is, is that. It's just cosmetic because the it doesn't address the the basic problem with her character is that she's boring and she's got nothing to do. And well, sadly, I don't recall that situation getting better until the very end of the series. I thought they were gonna. It seems like they're making her basically. If if you're, I don't know if you ever read Dune or or watched, but they're making her the basically a sort of nicer version of a Bene Gesserit witch, you know, where you have this person who can read feelings and thoughts to some extent who you you keep off to the side 
to to pick up any funny business and you know if you have a person like that they better be they you know i mean if from a writing point of view you should make that person to get to the the enterprise to have a place in that place in the enterprise they should be the finest example of that or potentially the finest example of that so she should be like on that shit you know right they could propel the stories into a higher level because all of a sudden there's a lot of things that would have been a whole story in itself if you didn't have somebody it's like a transporter she could she could make the stories very unpredictable by you know stuff that would have been like taking a whole episode for them to figure out she could figure out in the first 10 minutes and then you could deal with the story on a different level after that right but uh, no it, it it never really happens it's just very strange and you eventually you know i mean the thing with tv is over the course of time if you have the character in season after season you start to like them or you start to think of them as part of the family even though you might not even like them that much you know so well after after a while she sort of set in there but it was just i i never understood why well i would have loved to have been a fly on the wall uh during the sessions where they where they figured out how what her character was going to be right it's just strange that they didn't address it or they did or they didn't even try to you know there she is being the same old you know sort of bullshit artist that's <laughs> <laughs> all i can say you know hey she's were, getting paid you know I mean, <laughs> at least in the future they could find another you know I mean, basically, I think ninety ninety nine point nine 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 percent of your cl- people who claim to be psychics who are out there like have a psychic shop or something are you know full of horse shit. So you know, and I would think by <laughs> by the twenty third century they would have figured that out. And so, so you don't have like you know, basically that's what she reminds me of. She reminds me of across the street from me. We've got a place where you can go get your your tarot cards read. And she reminds me of that instead of an alien creature that actually has a brain that's evolved to read minds and to be super empathic, you know. I mean, her her empathy is is just as good as any is a is like a really sensitive human. It seems to me, as far as her her um, success rate so far that <laughs> she's shown. Right. Well, I mean, as evidenced in the last episode of the first season, when the guy from the 20th century can read the thoughts and intentions of, of the, the Romulans, Romulans off their faces and body language better than the woman who literally reads minds, you have a problem with your character. And and her contribution in that was basically just research. Right. All her insights were stuff she went and got off the computer, you know, from Space Wikipedia. So just very strange. Another, and, and I'll have one more bitch, and then I'll leave all the bitches alone. <laughs> leave them Are we setting alone. a new precedent here? Are we setting a new precedent? Because in the first season, the precedent was, "Hey Picard, there's trouble. What? There's trouble? I surrender." Is he gonna start? Is he gonna blow up the ship every episode now? Is he gonna be just like what? What? Somebody spilled their coffee on deck three. You know, quick, put in the self-destruct code. This annoys me no end. It, it's... And then what does he do? He goes to his cabin and sits and waits to die. Mm-hmm. Kirk would be getting laid. Kirk would at least be jerking off to porn or something. 
Kirk or, or, or having a drink with McC- sitting around with his best friends going, well, it's been a pleasure being alive with you. No, he goes and he listens to the most like dour, depressing classical music. You the know, only just... thing missing from that scene is him reading his big stupid book of Shakespeare. That's the only thing missing been, in that he scene. He should have been yeah, he should have been drinking like wine and taking seconds and sitting in his space tub getting ready to slash his wrist when the Martians <laughs> came over the but the, uh. the problem with that scene is that, you know, I won't argue that it's very likely faced with that same situation that Kirk might not have wanted to to blow up the ship. I understand that. I, I understand under- that concept. But my my biggest problem with this scene is, for one, like you said, how Picard faces death in that is so just wussy. But also they never fire a shot. Kirk, at the very least, if he's going down, he's going down fighting. He's going to exhaust yeah. all possibilities. They never even shoot at Nagilam. They don't shoot phasers. They don't try the photons. I mean, one of my I was bitching about this while I was watching the episode. One of my kids said, "Well, they said that they couldn't lock onto him. That doesn't make a difference. Even if they it can't lock, lock out, just fire him out. Just yeah, just shoot him. You know, fire all phasers. Fire all the fo- you know. Just on the off chance you might hit something. You never yeah. know. It's worth a shot. Yeah, rather which than way? just going, I don't care. Just turn them on. Yeah. <laughs> rather than just sit there and go, well, gee, there's nothing we can do. Well, I guess it's time to just blow up the ship and everybody's got to die. What? Well, I understand that he was saying, okay, I'm not going to let you torture my people to death. I'd rather have all of them die in one big kaboom as opposed to seeing them die like, you know, poor lieutenant, you know, ant under the microscope or ant under the uh, magnifying glass there up on the bridge. So I can understand that being kind of a brave and ballsy move. But Jesus Christ, I mean, that, the, like, I don't know what the <laughs> classical piece is he's listening to. It's in, it's actually, I know it was used for a brief second in Yellow Submarine. But it's one of the most just depressing. But, and the only thing that would make that seem like it makes sense to me is if he knew that, if he knew he was going to, uh, to, um, Sort of trick the 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 nowhere man into his uh, <laughs> to to go with the the yellow submarine references to trick the nowhere man into showing up to try and talk him out of blowing up the ship. You know, if he knew that was going to happen, maybe he set it up so he's like, I'll set up this whole little tableau here where I'm I'm pouting in my cabin. I'll even put on some dramatically sad, pathetic music and just sit here and pant my you know tent my fingers and stare into space literally but uh, come on Picard show you know get get together with your friends and ha- drink a toast to life or something you know yeah I yeah it, it, that scene makes me I don't know it makes me shake my head and go what Th- this is this is the way you're gonna face death you're gonna sit yeah. in your quarters all by yourself and listen to some you know just utterly depressing little dirge you know you're not you're not going to try to fire off a, one last letter you know or you're not going to you know <laughs> go order some ensign to drop her drawers or something you know i mean come on what what really 
You probably wouldn't even have to order one. I mean, if everybody's gonna die, there's gotta be somebody who wanted to wanted to do the captain. You got twenty minutes. You got twenty minutes. You got twenty minutes to do the captain. I know you want it because I remember bumping India in ten forward, and I remember, you know. But I was a captain, so I couldn't do it. But we got twenty minutes left, so let's hop to it. You know? <laughs> nope, not at all. Go down to the go down to the holodeck and just have the wickedest orgy you'd ever seen. Exactly. For, it's know. time to it's time to be Caligula and be just like <laughs> I have twenty minutes to either kill or fuck anything that comes near me. <laughs> Bring them on! <laughs> I would be yeah. I would be eating. I would be eating, having sex, and killing all at the same time. As much and drinking and pooping and whatever I could think of. Everything but sleeping. <laughs> if I had 20 minutes left, come on. Why not? I'm not going to worry about any impression I make on anybody. <laughs> of course, though, that's... Of course, that would happen. And then, you know... Uh, you know, Nag- Nagila would be like... Uh, <laughs> Nagila Gorilla. Nagila Gorilla. <laughs> would be like... Would be like, well, I've changed my mind. You guys can go now. And there's all these people in their underwear with bloody swords standing in the, you know, with babies on the end of their swords going, wait, what? (laughs) Wait, we're not, now we're not blowing up? Is that what he said? Did he say we're not blowing up? Oh. What did you say? Well, now I'm a murderer. (laughs) What did you say he reminded you of? His, His face, the way his face was made up? It's like a silly putty face. Silly putty face. Yeah, because to me, he looks like giant baby head man. He's got a little (laughs) baby head, but he sort of has a little bit of like a a green, like classic alien. Right, yeah. You know? But he he kind of looks like the star child at the end of 2001, just a little bit, too. It reminds me of on the Conan O'Brien show when they used to have a celebrity and just superimpose someone's lips Lips, over their mouth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I just think instead of... He was kind of creepy, though. Yeah, he was, was kind of creepy. creepy. I just think a, a much better name for this instead of Where Silence Has Least, which I still say is kind of a goofy name for this. And I think it should be Beware the Space Baby Head. I think it's funny. It's one. It's another one of those shows where he kills somebody, but by the end of the show, you've sort of forgotten that he's killed people. And Picard's going, you know, we actually have something in common. And... Blah blah blah, and Picard's ready to get the hell out of there, but he's being kind of nice to this guy, yeah, he is. and that 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 made you know that that turned a perfectly nice Starfleet guy into a crispy critter right in front of everybody's face, very, very horribly. That guy, you know, and they didn't even do the usual TV Star Trek cop out where at the end the guy's like, "He's alive! Look, he's alive!" No, that guy, you know. Yeah. No. Gone, gone, gone. When when they, he said that, you know, thinking about that, thinking that this guy had horribly murdered that guy in cold blood for no reason whatsoever, and then in the privacy of his quarters, you know, Picard's butting up to him going, you know, we have something in common. I'm, like, waiting for some horrible racist remark or something. I just, <laughs> what is We have Picard? something in common. We both hate black people. Exactly. <laughs> it's like... I knew you were all right when you killed the only black person on the bridge. <laughs> I don't often get to talk to other space racists, so, you know, hey, you want to come over and have a drink? I mean, what, not... yeah, what was he thinking, you know, talking and being all friendly with, with that guy? You know, at, at the end of the day, 
he should have, you know, even if there was no real threat to it at all, he should have been saying something, you know, trying to be tough, you know, you know, we're going to come back and, you know, blow the hell out of you one of these days. Or, you know, it's, I don't know. Or if he wanted to talk to him, at least start a dialogue of how, like, you know, with Charlie X about how you shouldn't make people curl up into a ball and die. <laughs> you know, no matter how omniscient you <laughs> think you are, maybe that should be the lesson instead of what we really have in common. It didn't seem like, you know, it it didn't seem to me like he was leading up to that. It just seemed to, like he'd forgotten that this guy just cold-bloodedly murdered somebody and then said, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to have to do that to a third or a half of your ship, but don't worry about it, you know? Right. And then at the, to that point, though, I was still thinking, ah, I think this creature's just saying that, though, just to screw with them, just to see what their reaction to that is, you know? But what I liked about that was his reaction was not what they expected, so that's... <laughs> Once again, was, I've been doing a bit of bitching about, like, the standard things, but I really like this episode. Yeah, I do too. I like this one. I don't think it was as good as the first episode, but it, it was still really good. It was very tense, and and like the first one, it had you know little tinges of like horror to it. You know, the uh, I I like Star Trek: The Next Generation because like the original Star Trek, it would dip its toes into other genres. You know, it would have a show that would be kind of like a more comedy like show and this show could be more like horrifying and scary and tense and and another one that's just sort of intellectual science fiction you know right so i i I like that a lot i like that uh this this is one of the the rare episodes at least you know in the beginning of uh of next gen that actually makes use of stereo sound because when the uh when the probes are launched from the enterprise, both of them fire off to the left side of the screen or excuse me, to the right side of the screen rather. And as they streak off, they actually go over to the right speakers. I thought that was kind of neat. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Cause this was at a time when, you know, TV wasn't really doing that sort of thing, you know, surround sound hadn't no, quite right. come along yet or whatever, but there was, there was, you know, the early stages of like, stereo sound and stuff it might be something that got the music might have gotten remastered a little the sound effects might have gotten remastered a little bit for dvd release too Mm -hmm. i thought that was pretty cool but yeah that's pretty much all i got on this i i dig this episode i really do it's uh it's weird you know and that's what i Uh like it's it's very moody which which owes a lot back to you know some of the best you know creepy weird moody episodes of uh of the original series that's kind of what i dug dug about this one i think that's why i sort of lost interest in star trek after the next generation is because the next generation was kind of all over the place but then as it became you know you get into seven seasons and you get other shows there was a very like sort of processed star trek look of what a star trek series looked like and the way it was shot and the feel of it. And it didn't have that seem to, from my impression was it didn't seem to have that, you know, sort of anything goes that, that, that next generation in the original Trek had, which I may be totally wrong with that. Cause I am totally unfamiliar with Voyager and enterprise and deep space nine, but, uh, I'll be, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out eventually. 
someday. No, I mean, you're not completely wrong because that I think that's part of the problem with those later series and why. That's why I didn't watch them because I would see them. I would see them playing and I would see that like, you know, a new Star Trek series is coming in and I would catch part of it and I would know they'd get rerun like crazy. So I wasn't like. I gotta, you know, I gotta watch it. So I was in, wasn't in a hurry to watch it, and I would see some of it on TV, and it was like, yeah, it looks like they're following a formula now that they've established. You know, they're like, stick to the formula because that's how we're gonna make money, you know, and keep it going, franchise-wise. But, and I also think maybe if they spread it out a little more, they, they, if they didn't have so much Star Trek going at once, right, it might have lasted a little longer and been a little more well, I, I, pleasing. I think it, it, it's a sign that your your franchise is in trouble when you start stealing stories from your prior incarnations, you know, yes. and just thinly masking them as such you know you take a concept okay you know this this is the plot in this episode and you take it and you change the setting you change a couple of names and maybe you change the MacGuffin but for the most part it's the same exact story that tells the same exact sequence of events with the very same moral at the end of it and the very same lesson learned. And it's like, right. what do you have? You you don't have anything original. And sadly, that's kind of, in, in a lot of ways, it's kind of where the la- latter series went. You know, you know, particularly DS9 and Voyager. There were a number of times in both of those series when I found myself like, you know, 10 minutes into an episode going, wait a minute, I saw this on Next Gen. You know, right, and right, and right. that kept happening over and over again, and yeah, that that's not a good thing. You know, that's not a good sign. I mean, you know, it, it was fine in in next gen. You know, when they when they add the the little homage to like you know the naked time or something like that, but that you know an homage or a callback is completely different then your latest episode just is really just a, a recycle of something from four yeah. years ago that, you know, doesn't nod back or acknowledge you're, you're actually selling this as if it's a new idea, a new episode when it's not. And they did that a lot. You know, I, I, I wish I could think of a specific example and I, I can't off the top of my head, but I know that there were a number of times when I found myself going, wait, I've seen this before, just a different series with different characters. Right, right. So yeah, they, were, they were thinking, well, we've been going long enough. There's probably a whole new generation watching. They don't know. Shit right. Yeah. Before. Yeah. And that's yeah, I'm I'm of the opinion that ain't good. That was the seeds of the mentality that that have led us to the point of right, where right now they're working on a Smokey and the Bandit remake, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where they're getting to that point where they, yeah. <laughs> but that's a whole nother rant for a whole nother day when it's not five in the morning. Yep, it is that, late. They, that that may be why you can't recall <laughs> specific. Um, yeah specific episodes why you can't just pull them up out of your memory banks like that well i think that's it for this time around next time around i'm trying to remember what episodes we've got coming up yeah let me see here let me 
pull the big book back out and I'll tell you. Because I remember one of them being really excited about and the other one being like, oh, God, not that one. Oh, yeah, here we go. It's uh, Elementary Dear Data, which is my, oh, good Lord, episode. Because I don't. It's I'm, funny. Be I like, just pulled up some pictures from that episode because I, and for for the Christmas Star Trek Monthly Monday, I was toying with an idea. I don't even remember what it was that was going to use the data in his Sherlock Holmes outfit. <laughs> so I, I, I went, when I saw that that was one of the ones coming up, it's like, oh, that's funny. It, out of all those episodes, I was just looking at pictures from that. I don't remember much about it except that Data annoys the hell out of everybody in it. <laughs> and the other one is the outrageous Okana in which uh, the Rocketeer makes time with uh, Superman's woman. And Joe Piscopo's in that one, too. Oh, I vaguely remember that. Isn't he a hologram of some sort yep. or something? Yeah, okay. Yep. That's. I'll leave it at that, so... Yeah, I don't want to start talking about the next episode already. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. Joe Piscopo. Yep. Now, there was a talent. What the hell ever happened to him? Is he still alive? He's still alive. He's still... I, I think what he does is he's got one of those, like... I don't think it's in Branson. It might be... I think he's a New York City guy. I, I, I think he's a Long Island guy like Billy Joel. For some reason, I put him and Billy Joel together as, like, they're friends or something. But I think he has, like, a comedy club, and he just sort of does that as his... I saw him on a talk show or heard an interview with him, and it was one of those things where he's actually... It sounds like he's doing pretty good, and he was... I, I remember I hated him. I just... I didn't think he was funny, and whenever I saw him in public, I was just like... Uh, you know, I just don't want to, I just don't want to, I, I don't want to hear it. But when it sounds like age has mellowed him, maybe, and it was like, I heard this interview and I'm like, he sounds like he's got his shit together and he's kind of a, kind of a nice guy now, but it doesn't sound like he's really into being in the public eye. It sounds like he's into like, just sort of doing his thing in in a small sort of way and you know, some of those guys were smart and they made millions of dollars and put it in the bank and invested it and and just got had a modest house that they didn't have to keep paying a lot of money on and realized, hey, I could I could do whatever I can do whatever I want. I could relax with my family, I, you know, and not have to worry if I live fairly modestly. And that's what I think he did. I think he was like, you know what? I peaked. Um, I was kind of a household name. And if I stick around, I'm just going to be a joke. And so, uh, good for him. Good for him. Yep. Yep. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Star Trek Monthly Monday ending on Joe Piscopo. And it will be beginning with, it will be featuring Joe Piscopo next month. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. I'll be working on getting Joe Piscopo as our, as our guest for the next one but don't hold your breath. <laughs> but now that, now that I thought of that and I went in that whole little, like he's living modestly, maybe we can get him on our podcast. Who knows? He might be like, yeah, I'm not doing anything tomorrow night. I'll make up a couple margaritas and call in. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, next month, Joe Piscopo on two true freaks. <laughs> and I'll make him do his Frank Sinatra impression. 
Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.